For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 709 on CJAD. This is Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. I'm Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. How are you, Josh? Excellent, Dan. How are you? I'm very good. And we have a very interesting guest tonight who's in a, a very interesting field, uh, Brian Dullimore of MHD Rockland. Welcome to the program, Brian. Thank you for having me. And uh, maybe, we, Josh, we can give a quick recap of uh, what uh, what Brian does. Now, this is this is a business that... Not everybody can get into, but They're it particular, is particularly yeah. interesting. Uh, and we're talking about the aerospace, the avi aviation industry. We're talking about military customers. It is extremely interesting to see how this business has grown over the years between Brian and his father, who's not here tonight, uh, but really looking forward to the story. So Brian, welcome. And maybe you can tell the listeners, what exactly does MHD Rockland do today? Well. We're um, an aviation company, but specializing in military aircraft distribution, spare parts. Um, the company was founded uh, 30 years ago by my father, and I founded my own company, Rockland Aerospace, 10 years ago. Uh, over the years, uh, the business has grown from a small one, two-man operation to now, since the merger of last year, up to 82 people. So. Now, when when you say you're a military aircraft, what what exactly does that mean? And the parts? Do you you buy the aircraft? Do you just buying and reselling parts? What exactly does that mean? Uh, various ways. The business is from uh, trading, a buying and selling aspect, to buying lots of inventory distribution around the world, to over the last few years buying complete aircraft for dismantlement and then redistribution afterwards. Now, this is not a business you can get into overnight and just kind of walk into it was when when your father started it uh, you say 30 some odd years ago was there specific knowledge how, how did he get into this it it is very specific it'd be great if we could uh, pick up the phone call a few experts and move forward but uh, unfortunately it doesn't work that way it, it takes many many years of uh, experience time efforts um, my father was uh, lucky enough to start off at pratt whitney uh Goodrich, the usual aerospace companies in Montreal area, and uh, 30 years ago had the opportunity to start his own company with some partners in the U.S., and from there had grown from just brokering deals on their behalf or trading the odd parts here and there to purchasing inventories and so on and so on, logistics contracts, wherever the case may be. But it's one day you learn something new, pass it on to whoever you can. It's ever-growing, ever-changing. Very unique business. Now, how did you get into this business with them? Was this something that was a passion? Were you uh, in school and you just said, you know what, military aircraft, that's where I want to be? No, he forced start? me. He forced me. <laughs> he, he dragged me in. Uh, no, I, I had a, a chance to go in and help out one summer where uh, they were short staff and uh, fell in love with the business and the rest is history, really. But I was I was very fortunate to start from the ground up, which is the best way to learn this business. And as we grow, it, it's not as easy for our newer staff to learn at that level. We're just too big. Uh, the business is moving so fast to the rate of our, our inventories and our staff is doubling every year. So it, it, it's tough for the new staff to learn. 
Now, when you say start from the ground up, is it is it really all about the product knowledge, or is there a service side? Is there a, a clientele and a location of inventory? I mean, what does that mean, learning the business from the ground up? Well, we're in the parts business, so learning the parts from uh, how assemblies are put together, be it a landing gear, how a piston and cylinders will go together, how things work. And having that knowledge helps you evaluate inventories in the future, the pricing of inventory for sale, even the, the purchasing of inventory, which is really a big key to our business. And um, those, are, those are the basics. One, from there, there's the service side, of course. There's customer service is, is key to any business. Huge part of our business, something we strive to always excel at. And the better your product knowledge is, the better you'll excel at customer service. Unfortunately, that's that's a tough one right now. It's a tough challenge. How long were you in your dad's business before you kind of splintered off into your own? Uh, I was lucky enough to do 15 years there. And uh, that's from the warehouse work to uh, management work, head office. And I mean, it's very interesting. You have a lot of entrepreneurs that start out on their own. But when you have the ability and the fortune to learn the business, learn from your you know, from the patriarch, from the from the gentleman that started, and then be able to go out and uh, and start your own. That uh, that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily get the opportunity to do, and especially in a business where product knowledge is absolutely huge. You can't just walk in and off the street and learn how you know how a landing gear works or or how the components of of a plane work out. So I, I think it's really interesting. And and when we come back, Brian, really interested to hear. Where, when you were on your own and how that developed along the way. And then also how you, you merged back with your father's business, which is a really unique, interesting story. So we'll get to that, too. Uh, this is Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD. Our guest, Brian Dallimore of MHD Rockland. It's coming up to 7.15 right now. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Our guest this evening, Brian Delmar of MHD Rockland. And uh, we, we had two companies, Brian, we had MHD and we had Rockland, which was uh, your company that you uh, that you started after uh, after parting ways. Um, why did you decide to, to leave your father's company and how were those first stages, those first few stages out on your own with, with this new company, Rockland? Well, uh, really, it was uh, my own vision. Uh, I wanted to take um, my abilities and bring them in a different direction, different type aircraft, different area. Um, wanted to concentrate more Asian Pacific region. Uh, from there, um, it, it, w it was a bit of a struggle. You know, it seems so easy on paper when you've planned it all out, but when it, once uh, you start up, it's a little different. The, the biggest challenges, I'd have to say, were uh, the financing. It's being in the aviation business, some of these parts don't uh, go for nickel and dimes. You're talking a fair amount of money. And uh, a lot of the industry's testing you in the beginning. So your customers will be asking you to find difficult-to-find parts. Normally difficult-to-find parts is high dollars. So, so financing was a, a big factor. Staffing also, a small company. Your budgets are limited, so find the right, the key people was a challenge also. Now, this business, I'm sure, has a lot of inventory management, and, and it's all about the buying. So when you're starting out fresh and you're dealing with these uh, parts that aren't necessarily so easy to find, uh, how, do you, how do you get your, your first set of inventory, or were you already in 
that industry long enough so that you had the contacts? Well, uh, the beginning, it was more of a trading. I didn't have the funding to buy the inventories. But knowing the, the pieces, knowing what moved, what turned, the high turnover items, if I bought a fair volume, then I'd get a price break. Then you can move on from there. You sell smaller quantities, a higher volume, and so on. So my inventory grew in uh, one piece at a time, we'll say, until the company grew, had more opportunities to buy lots, and that's where we're able to uh, get the help from the bankers and uh, move forward from there. So at first you were self-financed. Yeah. <laughs> the credit card companies did very well off me. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Now, yeah. now how, do you, how do you speak with a banker? How do you speak with a financier? Who doesn't understand your business? How do you how do you convince them that to to bank on you? How do you convince them that this is the way to go? I'm going to make money at this. You just got to trust me. How do you deal with that? Well, the 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 first bank I worked with didn't have the same vision as I did, uh, and luckily enough, the uh, RBC stepped up, and uh, I was lucky enough to have a great account manager, saw my vision, also uh, understood MHD's history. So having the MHD history in a similar business made things a lot smoother for me. So I, we could say I had to step up. So they were very helpful. They, they understood. They took the risk along with me. So I guess the, the, the knowledge that you got from MHD, which is your father's company, certainly helped as far from a, from a banking relationship as well at the beginning. Now, you also you spoke about there was growth along the way. I mean, you, you started basically at zero from, the, from Rockland about uh, 10, 11 years ago. And it grew. What was the most challenging aspect, aside from the financing, with the growth and managing that particular success, the customers in the different regions of the world? Staffing. Staffing was very important. Uh, a lot of my time is spent on the road. Uh, I believe face-to-face -face is the best thing for uh, ourselves and the customer. So finding the right staff that could hold the fort when I was away, somebody I can count on, depend on, that, that was our biggest challenge. Um, like I said, we doubled every year from one to two, two to four, and so on. So it was quite difficult, but I was very lucky. I uh, had some great staff. Uh, some are actually, all of them are still with me today. Nobody's really left the company. So we must be doing something right. But it's not just me. It's, it's the whole team. The, everybody has a big part to do with the success. So traveling, and I hear you travel a lot. I guess you you got to really pay attention, and I won't say run your business remotely, but that's certainly got to play into having the key people around. And I'm interested to hearing a little bit more about that shortly. And certainly that striking that fine balance too between reaching out to your customers and sort of keeping a grip on stuff at home. So maybe we can pursue that uh, after the break as well. Our guest on today's entrepreneur Brian Dullimore of MHD Rockland. CJD time is 7:23. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. This is today's entrepreneur on CJAD. Our guest this evening, Brian Delmore of MHD Rockland. Uh, they uh, do aviation parts, uh, buying, selling, and it's, uh, it's a really fascinating industry. And something that, that we talked about before the break, Brian, is, uh, is that it's very specialized and hard to find quality people. But at the same time, you, you're a big fan of face-to-face uh, -face meetings, traveling the world to meet clients. How do you strike that balance between keeping a, a firm grip at what's going on at your shop at home and uh, going on the road? And do you ever feel like you need to clone yourself sometimes? 
I, I definitely need to clone myself often, but I'm very fortunate that uh, I've had the the opportunity to surround myself with some very great people, key staff, consulting, um, mentors around the industry. So I, I've been very lucky. My staff in uh, Montreal is extremely dedicated. Um, I can count on them for almost anything. I, I feel comfortable leaving the country if it's for a week or if it's uh, for two months. And I'm 100% comfortable with uh, the results when I get back. How would you describe your management style with your people? Uh, I'm very open, easygoing. Uh, I, I like the one-on-one. Like I said, same for the client or staff. I'll, I'll sit with anybody and go through any issue, any problem, answer any questions. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as we grow, my time is limited. But I expect everybody in the company to do the same. Uh, pass on your experience. Pass on your knowledge. It's the only way in this business that we're going to be able to maintain experienced staff. It's the, There's no school. There's no book. It's hands-on training, experience. So the, the better we get along with our staff, the more we keep our staff, the, the happier they are to stay on. So a huge, huge part of our business is, is our uh, staff. Now, you, you've gone through, we're talking about the years when you were on your own at Rockland from 2000 or 2001 for, for that full decade. Now, you're dealing with business across the world, foreign exchange, and you're dealing with probably a lot in U.S. dollars. How did you, how did you manage or how did you deal with the fluctuation, the major fluctuations throughout that 10-year period? Well, in the beginning, it was great. We we were dealing with 50 points. So as soon as the paycheck would come in, it was off to the bank and cashing it for the highest rate we could. Nowadays, thing, things have changed a little bit. Uh, we have to be very careful. Uh, the exchange rate right now is not in our favor. Uh, we, we do sell and buy in U.S. dollars. So we constantly are monitoring uh, the fluctuation, dealing with it, uh, be it uh, online trading or what the case may be. But it's very important. Every transaction nowadays hurts. We're losing a couple of points every time. And being in the worldwide market is that in dealing with different countries around the world. Have you found a region that's maybe easier to deal with than somewhere else? Well, uh, for us, um, our biggest partner is uh, New Zealand government. We have uh, long-term contracts with them, and I'd have to say they're one of the easiest ones to deal with also. It's a much smaller country, much smaller military, and uh, when I started in this business uh, 22 years ago, I was fortunate enough to be working with them. And people I worked with in the embassies have now transferred back to New Zealand, higher positions, and have referred us or have contacted us to, to deal with them on their future visions also. Now, I mean, I mean Dan, the, the story of traveling the world and trying to mine your own backyard is, is something that many entrepreneurs face because there's a lot of owners that are great. They have the knowledge of their product. They know how to sell it. They know what is out there. They can make the decision in the field, and that's usually important. But knowing what to do when you get back here or how to keep it going, that's what's key. And I think when merging back with his dad, uh, that is something that's really going to be interesting in seeing how that's managed from the different standpoints of, of both father and son. Our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur, Brian Delamore of MHD Rockland. More after a news update at 7.30 right now. Dan Delmar along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. And our guest this evening, Brian Delamore of MHD Rockland. Uh, they uh, sell aviation parts uh, for really specific military aircraft. A really interesting business, Brian. And uh, we were talking about um, the two companies that existed, MHD, your father's company, Rockland, your company, which which branched out. And now they're, they're back together again. 
uh, tell us tell us that story, which is really quite uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it is a, a little different, but uh, it's one that works very well. Um, Rockland had just secured a, a big contract long-term on the Hercules aircraft, which happened to be a specialty of uh, MHDs. So uh, business-wise, we were going to be partnering with them in one way, shape, or form. So thinking about the, the aspects of the two business being very similar, succession planning, it, it was just a smart business move. At this stage in my career and his career, it, it was the right direction to go in for the company. Now, merging two companies is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. You know, there's certainly some planning uh, and some aspects. You're merging two different companies, two different cultures, two different styles, two different processes. Uh, tell us a little bit, Brian, uh, kind of what worked well and what were the some of the the kind of challenges along the way that you faced? Well, uh, my idea on how it was going to work was perfect. Uh, there should have been no problems. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't always work the way I plan. Uh, our biggest challenge would have been uh, merging two different cultures. We're talking about uh, a business MHD that had been around for 30 years and had been working a certain way for 30 years, where Rockland knew up and coming, doubling staff uh, every every year. So a lot of new staff, a lot of dynamics, uh, jumping into new areas where MHD was more set in certain areas. So merging the two cultures has been uh, a challenge. It's uh, w one that keeps getting better every day. We've learned a lot in the first year. We'd hope to be a lot further ahead, but you know that's you live and learn, and uh, we're learning from our mistakes. Does that require more of your presence, more of the people, you know, when you're mixing the cultures, is, is there one that's kind of taking over from the other? Um, it, it does happen in certain areas of the business, but it's really not what we want to do. We want to take the best of both worlds and make one big happy family. Um, to say if it requires my presence, uh, year one, I didn't think so. I thought uh, everybody could do it uh, on their own, working as a team. And uh, I've realized that uh, my presence is required a little more. Um, I do travel quite a bit, so I can't be the focus of every decision or every direction the company goes in. But uh, I do believe, uh, namely going into fresh start rebuilding after our mistakes of year one, that my presence is required a little more. Does that make the key people or part of management even that much more important because they're here all the time and they're supposed to carry that that management torch and that really drives the company? Yeah, they are a huge part of the day-to-day uh, -day and of the future. I mean, they're, they're the ones driving what direction we're going into, at least as an operation when it comes to the selling, purchasing. That's still my and my father's major decision. But on the day-to-day, -day, we need our key people. Our staff are the the most important to us it's what keeps our business going every day and they're the ones that answer the phones they answer the emails talk to the clients day in day out now you were running your company rockland your dad was running his company mhd it's kind of like you know reese's peanut butter cup you know chocolate went into the peanut butter they both are different personalities different characters how did you manage the different roles between father and son when you put the two companies together uh, it was simple. He obeyed, and that was it. It ends there. Uh, that, that's part of his idealistic. That. <laughs> you know, that was part of his idealistic. Everything was yeah, going to work from day one. Exactly. No, it really, um, I, I remember some of the tension when I was there uh, ten, 10 years ago, 
and uh, it, it's completely different now. Yes, we don't agree on everything, but for the most part, uh, we'll have our discussions or disagreements, whatever they may be. And, and he he lets me uh, make the final decision or make the final mistake, whatever the case may be. So do you is, you're able to resolve your disagreements? I mean, you you certainly he he he's been in the business longer, but you've been in the business for quite a long period of time. You have your different experiences from around the world, but yet you you do manage to. I guess not quarrel too much and, and figure out where the decision needs to be made at the end of the day. Yeah, we do discuss a lot more than we used to. Before it was one way or no way. Now, now there's a lot more discussion, and uh, I do have my opinions on how things should work, and so does he. And uh, the bonus is he's got 30 years of experience. So every once in a while, he comes up with a great idea or leads me in a different direction based on his experience. Some of those intergenerational businesses often have, uh, you know, clashes uh, of vision because maybe you're you're a bit too modern, a bit too uh, forward, and and the previous generation a bit too set in their ways. Have you had any of those conflicts? Oh, for sure. For it, it happens. It still happens every day. But like I said, for the most part, it, we'll discuss it or argue whatever we have to do. But it, in the end, by discussion, we're able to make a decision that uh, we both pretty much agree upon. And the next steps for this merger, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's going. It's been, how long has it been since you merged? Uh, just a, a year and a month. So it's still fresh. <laughs> and, and certainly from a merge standpoint, the business, uh, you know, uh, did it double in size? Uh, like how, how much did it grow and how much did that affect, you know, certainly space, location? Are these items that you, you're still looking at? Yeah, uh, constantly. Uh, I'm happy to say that I always underestimate our growth. We've... <laughs> We've uh, expanded uh, an additional 20,000 square feet uh, since the merger, uh, 20% increase in staff. So it, it's continuously growing, and I, I believe we're not even scratching the surface of what we can do. It, it's just having the time to do it, train the people, put the people in place. But uh, the potential for the company is huge. Uh, so, so then what are the next steps for MHD Rockland? Well, What's in the future? Well, number one, uh, I, we have to get the IT problems uh, <laughs> down packed. That's an, another big headache. The culture is just one of them, but um, the I, we're struggling with the IT. For uh, the Rockland staff, we hopped onto the MHD system, and mm -hmm. it, it wasn't as, as easy as we thought it would be. Um, we had our own way of working. They have to adapt their system to our way and vice versa. So it, it's been difficult, but uh, we're getting there. Um, next step is we, we're expanding into the repair and overhaul business. We're setting up with a, uh, a company in uh, northern Florida. So we're going to change the d direction a bit. We're, it's going to be a separate division, but uh, still under the MHD Rockland brand. Now, you're dealing with aircraft parts. You're dealing with, with parts that are going into other planes. People are flying in them. Certainly, quality control or quality assurance has to play a big role in your business, uh, how much is how much emphasis do you put on it, and what's the process that you've been following? Well, quality is uh, one of the most important things. That's uh, the quality inspection at the shipping stage is the last line of defense for us as a company. Although, last line of defense for the part onto the aircraft is the mechanic, but it, it is a very very important part of our business. But we. We get audited regularly by some of the manufacturers or the operators we deal with. We're qualified to ISO uh, 9120 standards as a distributor. We are an approved distributors for uh, 
the biggest manufacturer of the aircraft we deal in. And uh, we also qualify for um, an ASA 100 standard, which is more civil aviation as we deal with the 757, but in a military platform. How have been your experiences with government? Because I'm sure, especially from a security standpoint, that must be heavily involved in your in your operations. Yeah, um, well, everything we deal with is uh, U.S. technologies. So it falls under what we call ITARs, which is International Traffic and Arm Regulations. So everything is controlled. Every part going out the door needs as an export license. Uh, we have to maintain the records on file. I believe it's seven years after the part's been sold. So it, everything's monitored, be it leaving from uh, U.S., Canada, wherever it's going, we need to, it needs to be licensed. And is this something, the regulations, uh, as stringent as they are, do they change frequently? Do you have to stay on top of it? Is this something that you, you keep in touch with government contacts to stay a part of? Yeah, uh, we're constantly, uh, we have uh, full-time staff that are monitoring that. We do have to send in um, quarterly reports of what we've shipped. But uh, to say the rules change, the rules are changing every day, too quickly at times. Fortunately, in our business, it's spare parts. So it's not manufacturing. It, it's, it doesn't change as much. But we have to monitor it continuously. And Countries change all the time, who you can sell to and who you can't sell to. And I would think that with both companies put together, both MHD and Rockland, to form the one, there are some economies of scale, so you don't... You're not two separate companies looking out for these changes, but it's really all under one roof. Correct, yeah. we That's one of the things we've merged together. We have a, a U.S. Uh, partner that we deal with that uh, monitors the U.S. side of things, and we have our staff in Canada that monitor the Canadian side of things, but they work hand-in-hand hand every day. Hey, uh, Brian, really, really interesting. I know that we've really probably just scratched the surface as part of the story goes, uh, and, and I'm sure there's a lot more to tell. Uh, and part of actually what we would love to get into is now that you and your dad are shareholders, I guess you have to have some sort of agreement between the two of you to know how you, know, how you should operate together or how maybe that you'll leave each other uh, at some point. And, uh, and I believe uh, and one of our partners, Nick Moradis, is going to come on and talk about shareholders' agreements, and we can all chat about that. More of today's entrepreneur in just a moment on CJAD at 7.45. Coming up to 7.48 on today's entrepreneur, this is a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar along with uh, Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, our guest this evening, Brian Delmar of MHD Rockland. And we also bring into the conversation tax partner at Fuller Landau, Nick Moretis. Welcome back, Nick. Welcome. Hi. Now, just before the last break, we were talking about shareholders' agreement, Brian and his father, Charlie, in business together. They own shares, uh, and it's not always family members. Sometimes you'll have other non-related business partners, but a shareholders' agreement is absolutely crucial because you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, and as, mu as much as you might be great friends today or family today, you never know what happens tomorrow. So, Nick, love your, your perspective. What are the challenges that entrepreneurs face? What should they look at when they're talking about shareholders' agreements. Well, the importance of a shareholders' agreement is to get a, an agreement that uh, uh, defines your relationship while things are going well and, and not in, in, a, in, a, in a fight. And there's many different uh, things that you tend to look for, uh, whether it's in a family-owned corporation or whether it's, uh, it's a bunch of guys and gals together who own, own a business. Uh, so some of the stuff that you'd be looking at is, say, establishing voting control. Uh, if uh, is is there anyone will have a, a tiebreaker vote or not? That's uh, that's one of the items that you look at. Uh, shareholders agreement will also look at the managing. Well, what is everybody supposed to do? And what is their commitment 
to the firm as a shareholder. Are you simply a passive shareholder, or are you uh, involved in the business? Are you, an, are you in charge of an operation? What are you committed to do? Um, could be a financing. Um, we're the shareholders. We're financing the firm. If the firm needs uh, money tomorrow uh, and the bank isn't available, well, that goes back to the shareholder. Well, what if someone has the money and what if someone doesn't? Well, what happens then? And it's not something you just decide ad hoc. It is best to put it down in, in a piece of paper. Um, one of the bigger sections usually of a shareholders agreement that comes in, especially in a private enterprise, is, well, what if the shareholder is no longer there? And no longer there could come in many ways. He can unfortunately pass away. Uh, he cannot be there because he's disabled, either through sickness or, or, or health. Uh, he could be not there because he would like to retire, and he happens to be 75, as most uh, entrepreneurs like to retire at that age. Um, he would like to simply leave. Uh, he's not uh, there's the, the conflict of personality. Uh, what do you do then? And that is where uh, a lot of the discussion comes in. And I guess you want to control it where you can, because if you have a partner that, let's say, uh, dies prematurely, then I guess you're left to be partners with whoever's in his will. Absolutely. Um, if, if, if your partner has passed away, it is now his estate who's the shareholder of your business. Um, you could, A, accept that and, and continue business and just know that uh, the, the, uh, whatever dividends will be paid will be paid out to the estate. Um, however, if most private corporations, usually many of the shareholders are working in the business. They're not passive. Uh, and and you, you may want to um, promote uh, um, active investors, uh, active shareholders. So the shareholders agreement will call for, well, this is what's going to happen should you pass away. And and it could uh, and a myriad of options available, but one of them could say that well, if you're not there, we have the right to buy out your interest, and your estate can't say no, or your estate has the right to sell the shares back to us, and we cannot say no. But it's guaranteeing uh, both parties. Now, if you look at it from the deceased perspective, if he's not there, his concern or her concern will be her family. And how am I going to make sure that my family will get the money that's, uh, that represents the value of these shares and not have my ex-partners, because they're now not around, say, no, we're not going to pay you. So now we're talking about money, not just talking about who's left to maybe be partners with. We've hopefully taken care of that in the shareholders agreement, but now there's a money aspect to it, and, and we have to kind of dictate how much gets paid out to who. That's right. And and one of the elements of a shareholders agreement usually talks about valuation, because that becomes uh, critical. Um, how are we going to value the uh, company at a certain critical uh, stage, i.e., the shareholder has passed away, uh, the shareholder is disabled uh, and is not returning back to work, uh, or the shareholder just wants to leave? Uh, how do we do it? Do we start uh, hitting each other with over the heads and see who, who is mightier? Do we do um, clauses that uh, are, are traditionally called um, shotgun clauses, which is, which is a scary type of a tool? Is that better than beating each other over the head? It's almost the same thing. Uh, do we call in arbitrators? Do we go to court? Um, do we each hire consultants and spend fees on there trying to negotiate a fee? Or is there something dictated in the shareholders agreement? Remember, that's negotiated while we all agree. This is how we will regulate the valuation of our business. Is it a formula? Is it that we hire an external appraiser and he comes in and does the appraisal? And that is, becomes very important because, again, if my concern is I might be disabled tomorrow, which is like higher chance of happening before I retire than death, I want to make sure that my family is going to get something and I need some peace of mind as a shareholder as well.
Coming up, words of wisdom for entrepreneurs. This is Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD. Coming up to 7.56 on CJAD, Today's Entrepreneur, our guests, Brian Dullimore of MHG Rockland and tax partner at Fuller Landau, Nick Moretis. Now, before we get to Brian's uh, words of wisdom for Today's Entrepreneur, Nick, perhaps a last thought on shareholders' agreement and valuations of the business. Uh, this is very important when you're taking it in a family enterprise, especially. Um, and I'll, I'll zero in on, on, unfortunately, the death scenario uh, when dad is who is, in your case, uh, Brian, the founder of the company, is no longer there. And, and that becomes important because um, his shares are going to his estate, and his estate it might be shared with your, uh, your siblings. So th- now we get back into evaluation as to well, what will dad's shares be worth should dad not be there. Um, and I think they're coming up with a number, just pulling it from the air, where, well, we're just going to take a formula and we'll take, uh, say, profits times two, and there's your value. Uh, in a family situation, we'll be challenged by the tax authorities. Whereas if it was in a non-armed, with an arm's length situation, they'll have a harder time arguing. And that's something we do see that with the shareholders' agreement, it's best to have some sort of valuation that, that is as close to, as possible as to the value of the business if you were going to sell this to someone, who would you be selling? Uh, what price would you be selling it to? Building that into the agreement, whether it's on a formula or whether it's on seeking uh, appraisal advice at the time, and and working it through. Thanks, Nick. Uh, clearly, it's a it's a minefield when it comes to shareholders' agreements, and the ultimate the, the the real lesson learned in all this is plan while everybody is still happy and talking to each other, and don't wait until after the fact. Absolutely. Now, Brian, uh, as we come to the end of the show and as we hear the fascinating story of working with Dad, splitting off, going on your own, and coming back with, uh, with your father, back into business after a merger, perhaps you can let us know in your mind, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? Well, um, the best piece of advice I can give to anybody is to surround yourself with the key staff. Key people is the number one thing for our business and from what I've seen for every business out there. Your personnel is number one. So if you can uh, concentrate, get into proper people, proper management team, proper staff, the rest should be uh, success. Excellent. Thanks very much, Brian. I think the I think the takeaway, Dan, that I get from this show, and it wasn't really discussed very much, but when we're talking about mergers, and you know, Brian Brian said it perfectly earlier. I thought it was going to be perfect from day one, and clearly it's not. It's all about the planning. We spoke about shareholders agreement and planning. We spoke about uh, mergers and planning a little bit more, a little bit due diligence, doing your homework, rolling up your sleeves. I think what entrepreneurs. Uh, what they they I'll say suffer from, although it's it's a plus and a minus, is that they do shoot from the hip. They know their business. They they know what what could work down the road, but they don't always take the time to go and work in the details. And sometimes when they do, it's great because there's so many different avenues and so many different aspects. But they gotta learn to do that. They gotta make sure that they roll up their sleeves, they find out some of the detail because a smooth procedure after the fact is the best result that they can hope for. And that's what I take away from this week's, uh, this week's session. Very interesting. And also uh, rolling with the punches. And, uh, you know, although Brian has, uh, has a bit of a, a not, not a traditional career path, it certainly seems that his decisions were, were right in the moment. And uh, it seems like, uh, like, although, you know, the path was a bit, a bit different, in the end, it, it, ends up, uh, it ends up well. Absolutely, for all parties. Now they just got to plan and make sure that shareholders' agreement is right so they don't have issues after the fact. 
Brian Delmar of MHD Rockland, thank you very much for coming in this evening. And also Nick Moretis uh, for the Landau. Josh, thank you. And we'll see you uh, next Monday night. Next Monday night, uh, we have actually David Ultro uh, from Ultro and Associates. Uh, actually, so on CJD, we're going to listen. He's going to be on the other side of the mic. We'll hear about his story. Great. Thanks, Josh. Delmar at Night it begins after the news on CJD.